The Gateway brings you the day's news from the St. Louis region and across Missouri. It also includes stories from the Illinois side of the river and our Metro East reporter, Will Bauer. In Alton, in Belleville, in East St. Louis, in Edwardsville, in Cahokia Heights, at Scott Air Force Base, I'm Will Bauer, St. Louis Public Radio. Listen to reports from Will and all of our journalists weekdays on The Gateway, on the STLPR app and wherever you get podcasts. In the heat of such a contested election cycle, it can be easy to get lost in obsessing over the daily churn of who's up and who's down, who said what, and who's campaigning where. I do my fair share of that myself. But before there were debate spin rooms, or Twitter hot takes, or even voting booths, politicians were hawking for support in the forums of Rome. It's really not all that different from what they did back then. Philip Freeman is a professor of history and humanities at Pepperdine University. I have written about 20 books, uh, more or less, on ancient Greece and Rome, and also a few on the Middle Ages as well. Much has been made about how social media and technology are changing the face of democracy and how we pick our leaders. But Professor Freeman says politicians today are employing the exact same strategies as leaders in ancient Rome did more than 2,000 years ago. Uh, make sure you stay in town and don't leave on vacation and uh, do some opposition research and know the weaknesses of your enemies and exploit them. On this episode of Wake Up to Politics, we take a break from the 2020 election cycle to travel back in time to the birth of democracy. Professor Freeman will give us a lesson on what's changed over time and what has remained relatively the same. And we'll hear the translated version of what it was like to manage an ancient political campaign. And it has a lot of advice in it that is absolutely timeless. And and it looks exactly like something that would come from the 2020 uh, election. I'm Gabe Fleischer. And from St. Louis Public Radio and me, this is Wake Up to Politics. The story of voting begins in Athens, Greece in the 6th century BCE. They had uh, a very direct uh, democracy where uh, everybody who was a citizen, uh, that is of course only males back in those days, was able to vote. Elect generals and leaders and if they wanted to get rid of somebody they could do that too. Uh, it uh, It was a very pure sort of democracy, almost like a a New England town hall uh, on a slightly grander scale. At around the same time, voting started taking place in Rome as well. Uh, And what they would do is they would vote for uh, two people called consuls. uh, And these were sort of joint presidents who each uh, served for one year. uh, And they were elected uh, by the various people there. And it started off uh, at first really just with people uh, being elected who were the nobles, uh, people who came from the leading families and the wealthy families. And much of our modern system is modeled off of how these ancient elections were run. Take the Electoral College, for example. It's one of the most controversial and confusing parts of our presidential elections. And according to Professor Freeman, it didn't originate with the Founding Fathers in 1787. It's actually a byproduct of how elections were run back in ancient Rome. 
you had different tribes each having a uh, a vote uh, and so uh, but the people who belonged to the tribes it really depended on wealth so that you would have uh, the wealthier tribes vote and elect people and often they wouldn't even bother to uh, count the votes of the uh, the poorer tribes uh, so it was the wealthy people who uh, pretty much ran things in uh, in Rome uh, during the Republic but it was democratic to a to a certain degree You look at the American founding fathers, uh, Hamilton and, and Jefferson and all the rest, uh, they were great fans of the Roman Republic. So uh, if the Roman Republic did it, if Cicero did it back in the first century BCE, uh, that was probably uh, the people that they were copying. And Roman candidates campaigned for office, pretty much exactly like candidates do today. Somebody who was running for an office would put on a, a, a robe uh, that was shining white. Uh, it called a, a, a candidus. Uh, and so this is where we get the word candidate from. And so he would walk around the forum there in the center of Rome or other places like uh, taverns or, or places where different clubs might gather. Uh, and he would uh, solicit votes. Uh, he would promise things to people. He would, uh, you know, maybe occasionally make a threat or two. There was even an ancient form of canvassing going on. And so those people would have gone around and talked to people as well. Ancient precinct captains. Having studied ancient elections, do you see kind of the same characters cropping up again and again in politics, that we have kind of the same archetypes? You really do. Yeah, you really do. I mean, there's a danger in studying history that, you know, uh, that, that history helps you. Uh, history does help you understand the present. It helps you understand how you got to where you, you are. It's a little trickier to use it as, as predictions. But, yeah, you, uh, you look at uh, the types of politicians, uh, the types of leaders that we see in the modern world really are the same as we have in the ancient world. They didn't have Twitter back then, but, uh, but it's really not all that different. You have the conservatives who are... You you know, who appeal to the more conservative crowds, to the farmers, to the agriculturalists, to the industrialists. Uh, and then you have the, uh, the populists, uh, the reformers, who want to come in and change things and redistribute wealth or, or redistribute opportunities. Yeah, uh, it's, it's really the same cast of characters uh, that you had 2,000 years ago. One ancient politician in particular stands out to Professor Freeman as being analogous to some we see today. There was a, uh, a man named Clodius uh, in the first century of the Roman uh, Republic, uh, first century BCE, uh, who was very much a, 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 a populist uh, in the style of, of some politicians that you have today, who was a rule breaker uh, and uh, absolutely delighted uh, in defying convention. Uh, and he would do anything uh, to get attention. Uh, he was very smart. Uh, he knew how to manipulate public opinion. Uh, but his uh, modus operandi, his way of operating, was uh, to, uh, to, to, uh, to shock people uh, and to exacerbate people. After this break, we'll share some advice Professor Freeman unearthed from a long-ago Roman politician with plenty of relevance for candidates seeking office today. Professor Freeman gained renown in 2012 for his book, How to Win an Election, a translated version of the advice Quintus Tullius Cicero gave his brother, Marcus Cicero, when Marcus ran for council in 64 BCE. He first happened upon the brotherly political advice while studying at Harvard. 
Uh, and then back, uh, well, I guess it was uh, about 15 years ago uh, now, uh, I was reading it again and thinking, my goodness, this really applies to today. Uh, if you look at it and sure change the names and a few things like that, but the basic, uh, the basic ideas, uh, advice, all of that uh, is very much the uh, very much applicable uh, to uh, today. Uh, and then I went about trying to find uh, a publisher uh, who would uh, who would publish this, uh, and I got turned down by several. Uh, and then I finally went to Princeton University Press, and they were kind enough, and uh, so they uh, published it, and um, they got featured in the New York Times, and uh, it was uh, uh, it, it was uh, it made a bit of a splash. Not me, but but Cicero uh, really was the one who made this splash because his advice from 2,000 years ago is uh, still the, the, pretty much how things work today. Although they rose to great power, the Cicero brothers were not born to the Roman political elite. You would call them sort of, uh, uh, you know, small town uh, big men. Uh, they came from a family, a very modest family by by most standards, and certainly by Roman standards. Uh, but they came, they got a very good education there in that town, and then their father was very devoted and very invested uh, in them getting a good education. So he sent them to Rome and spent a lot of money uh, so that they could uh, rise up the ranks uh, in in ancient Rome. And and Marcus Cicero especially was. Just one of the greatest orators of all time, which was a key uh, in in the ancient world. And so he climbed the ladder uh, of Roman politics, uh, not because uh, of his uh, family connections. He was uh, very much what they called a new man, uh, but by sheer talent and hard work and oratorical skill uh, until uh, he was ready in the year 64 uh, BCE to run for the highest office in the land. If Claudius, who you were talking about earlier, was a populist in the style of Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders, then Marcus Cicero was much more of a centrist in the mold of Joe Biden. And he tried very, very hard uh, to bring together uh, the, the, the conservatives and the progressives. Uh, and so this is a kind of a, va- a vanishing type of person uh, in, in, in American politics, somebody that we certainly had 20, 30 years ago uh, in, in Congress, but nowadays is exceedingly rare, somebody who tries uh, very hard to, to, uh, to put the needs of the country first and to, uh, to bring the different sides together. Cicero would eventually contribute to the creation of the idea of separation of powers, a direct line to the three branches of government we have today. Uh, he was an idealist in the sense that he believed in uh, the, the, the balance of government. I mean, we look at our balance of government in the United States Constitution. That comes from Cicero. Uh, that's really where it's come, where you, it comes from, where you have the different branches, co-equal branches of government. That's straight out of Cicero. Uh, and so he had that sort of idealism uh, that, um, that no one person should have too much power. When Marcus Cicero eventually won the consulship in that election, It was a remarkable accomplishment for someone who today we would call an outsider in a political system that was dominated by the same established families. You know, in a modern analogy would be, uh, you know, that, that ancient Rome was run by the Kennedys and the Bushes and the Rockefellers. And to have somebody uh, who's Joe Smith from Iowa come in, uh, that's what it would have been like. Uh, and so uh, it was very unusual for Cicero, uh, for anybody to, uh, who, as a new man, uh, a novus homo, to come in and, uh, and to uh, become consul. It was, uh, it was not unheard of. It had happened before. Uh, it had happened to a guy named Gaius Marius uh, who, who did it who was also a man of great talent about 40 years earlier, but it was unusual. How did Marcus Cicero pull it off? 
in large part because of Quintus's advice. Essentially, he was his brother's chief strategist or campaign manager, before those were even actual titles. Family was very important. Uh, this was uh, something in, in ancient Rome that, that your first loyalty was to your family, not to the city. Uh, and so you had uh, people who wanted to run for office, they would rely on their brother or their cousin or their uncle. Uh, so Quintus really is acting as a campaign manager. And he talks about it in the book. He says, you know, we sat down and we had a meeting with these people. We were trying to uh, solicit support. Uh, and so, uh, so yeah, uh, he really was a kind of campaign manager. Here's one pearl of wisdom Quintus gave his brother that Professor Freeman says stands the test of time. Promise everything to everybody, basically, is what Quintus says. Uh, this uh, great idea that, uh, you know, if you have uh, conservative people, you tell them that you've always supported uh, tradition. Uh, if you have progressive people, you tell them you always supported change. Uh, and, and just that, uh, you know, you can, you can tell anybody whatever they want to hear as long as it's not an outright lie. And then after the election, he says, you can always say, well, you know, circumstances have changed. You know, golly, I'd love to help you, but... I just really can't do it. So uh, that's something you, you certainly see uh, today where people make all sorts of promises. Uh, and then after the election, it's very easy and sometimes reasonable to say that circumstances have changed and I just can't fulfill that promise. There's plenty more from Quintus's letter that rings true today. Surround yourself with a smart inner circle. Call in every favor you have. Build a wide base of support. That advice lifted Marcus Tullius Cicero to a victory in the Roman council election and it still gets politicians elected today. In an age that is so dominated by technology, it is easy to convince ourselves that statistical models and data sets and online think pieces from 30,000 feet can tell us everything we need to know about how the 2020 election will end up. But then how does the process keep delivering so many surprises? Because the truth is, politics isn't driven by ones and zeros. It's driven by human beings. And the same emotional courts that politicians sought to struck in 500 BCE are ultimately the same ones that work with voters today. Politicians today might be able to spread their messages on Twitter and Facebook, but they're really just using the same tactics that Marcus and Quintus Cicero cooked up in the 6th century. I think there's something comforting in knowing that that the basic human nature, uh, whether in elections or anything else, doesn't really change. Uh, that, that that people 2,000 years ago were, were just, in a lot of ways, just like we are. Wake Up to Politics is produced by me, Gabe Fleischer, and Tim Lloyd, Senior Producer of On Demand and Content Partnerships at St. Louis Public Radio. If you want to learn more about the elections going on today, you can sign up for my newsletter at wakeuptopolitics.com. <laughs>